Combo Nation, what up, what up, what up everyone? Welcome to episode 101 of Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Go rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button right on your Apple Podcasts app or wherever you listen to Combo's Court. The continued support, man, nothing short of amazing. Today's show, Eric Newman joins in. Eric is a video producer, director, content creator, and co-host of the Pure Hoops podcast with three-time NBA champion BJ Armstrong. Go check that out and follow Eric on Instagram at Films. That's E-N-E-W-F-I-L-M-S. You know you could follow me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Eric Newman, filmmaker, storyteller, producer, co-host of the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong. Welcome to Combos Court, man. How you feeling? Thanks for having me, Andrew. Great to be on with you. Great meeting you this past weekend in, in Queensbridge at that event. And uh, feeling good. The season is uh, finally getting closer. Most definitely, man. Fellow New Yorker. It's always great having a fellow New Yorker on the show. What part of New York are you from? Uh, originally, I grew up in the 516 in Nassau County. Okay. And I have lived in New York City now. Uh, it was just my 17-year anniversary living living in this city. So, uh I, I think I've, uh, I think I'm officially qualified as a quote unquote New Yorker from the, uh, from the city side of things. Yeah. I think we always give those Long Islanders a hard time about the New York city thing. You guys aren't really from New York, but I mean, 17 years you put in your work. So I consider you a New Yorker for put sure. Put in my work. My, my, my pops is from Brooklyn. My mom is from Queens. I, I think I've, uh, I think I've paid my dues. All right. Tell us more about some of the movies uh, you produced. Uh, you know, my, my career has been, you know, I'm very fortunate to have combined the love of basketball and, and filmmaking. I actually used to be a basketball coach and a teacher and a clinic director and was always creatively driven, uh, you know, on the side and had a media and production background where I studied at Ithaca College, excuse me. And with the boom of sports documentaries and the evolution of, of technology and being able to distribute uh, in so many different ways. Now I was fortunate, fortunate enough to jump into this around 2011, 12. So the, the first thing I did of note was, uh, you know, play a producing role on the legend of sweet pea, which is about the streetball legend, Lloyd Daniels. So, you know, worked with some really great people on that, including, uh, you know, Dan Levin and Mark Levin at blowback productions who, uh, at the time had just made their first uh, basketball film Prayer for a Perfect Season, which was about St. Pat's and Michael Kidd Gilchrist, which was on HBO. So it took us a few years to make the Lloyd Daniels film. And at the same time, uh, you know, I was gathering experience just as a content creator and a producer. I, I landed at Bleacher Report where, uh, you know, I led NBA there through their growth through uh, TeamStream. And then I realized, you know, filmmaking is really what I wanted to uh, get into in the long run. Uh, not just do it when opportunities presented themselves. And, you know, at the time I was just starting a, uh, a relationship with uh, Showtime Sports 
after my departure from Bleacher in 2015 and started to work on some small stuff uh, with them and their sports documentaries, uh, all while knowing that I wanted to do bigger things and bigger projects. And, uh, you know, the, the break for me really came when I was able to create the vision for uh, the resurgence to Marcus Cousins uh, following DeMarcus's unfortunate Achilles tendon injury in January of 2018 and was able to connect I was able to connect the athlete and and the vision with Showtime and uh, then we were fortunate enough to, uh, to to go on that road making the film with DeMarcus documenting his rehab his free agency process and picking the Warriors and uh, you know now growing from here and, and trying to build more with Showtime and and, and get into some more uh, some more projects and uh, I'll have more to report in the weeks ahead. I can I can tell you that. What did you learn? I mean, it's really unfortunate with what's happening with Demarcus um, off the court and on the court. You know, he's uh, him and Isaiah Thomas. I was to talk about like they lost just so much money because of injuries. You know, like the kind of money they could have made would have been like generational, like family wealth. Um, what did you learn about Demarcus during the making of the film that others might not know? You know, it's interesting you bring up Isaiah, too, because that interview was very telling, um, not just for the DeMarcus subject matter, but also for what Isaiah was dealing with. And you hit it right on the head. It's generational wealth. It's respect. It's fulfilling the dream. And, you know, DeMarcus is um, very passionate about the game. Um, he's somebody who, as we've all seen because of – uh, the coverage of the game ha has been under a microscope for many years. And this is, you know, this is a guy that grew up very modestly in the South and I think wanted to be successful and great in basketball, but there was nothing to prepare him with many of the things that came with it. Scrutiny, right, with, with, so many, with so many players. Yeah. Scrutiny, coverage, yeah. criticism, you know, yeah. being in a, in a professional situation, where he, you know, didn't have a, a father figure or a clear mentor like he had had with his AAU coach, which is a great part of our film, like he had had with Coach Cal at Kentucky. You know, he really struggled to find that in Sacramento. And, and when he had that for a short amount of time with Mike Malone, um, that was then taken away from him because the team went in a uh, – in a different direction. And obviously we see what kind of coach Mike Malone has evolved to. Right. So, you know, it, it's been, um, it's been a rough ride for DeMarcus, but you know, and he's the first to admit it, you know, he's far from perfect. And unfortunately we've seen uh, some of that in the news recently, but that's nothing I have any real knowledge of that situation, but you yeah, know, was, was it's, thrilled all, it's to, all alleged. Yeah. I mean, was thrilled to see that he had, you know, gotten himself into great shape, losing 20 plus pounds, you know, following uh, what I thought was a very courageous return in the NBA finals, playing on yeah. one leg, helping them win two of those games. And then, you know, bad luck happens again. He bangs knees in a summer workout and tears his ACL. So, Oof. you know, it, it, it makes you think, has there been, you know, has there been that much damage to that leg over the years? Um, that he he can't return to what he was. I don't know. I'm not going to count the guy out because I've seen the guy work. And yeah, and he's tremendously skilled, so he could probably I, figure it out. 
his skill level and basketball IQ for somebody of that sized, uh, the versatility, the ability to play uh, inside and outside, if he's healthy, uh, he will play again and, and play a significant role somewhere. But he's got to stay healthy and he's got to figure out how to steer clear of some of these uh, unfortunate things that uh, may have happened off the court. So many people, uh, they judge some players about take how they take criticism. So, and they themselves can't even take one person criticizing them. But a lot of these players with social media now, it's like millions of people criticizing you. So I kind of feel bad when um, people cast judgment on some of these guys, you know? Yeah, you know, in the film, I, I had a lot of very eye-opening conversations in these interviews. And, and for those of you that haven't seen The Resurgence yet, um, check it out. Cheap plug. It's, it's still streaming on, uh, on Showtime. One of the highlights of the film was not just seeing the return of DeMarcus Cousins and documenting the free agency, but it was having these conversations with Mike Malone, with Isaiah Thomas, with John Calipari, with Matt Barnes, and getting their take on how athletes are perceived, not right. just DeMarcus, but in general. Right. And, you know, we've both been around the game in different capacities. I've worked, you know, in the quote unquote media capacity, even though I'm much more of a storyteller and a filmmaker than a so-called quote unquote media member, which I think needs to be defined a little bit more as we move forward with. I think it's hard. I think it's hard to define in this era, right? It, well, it's hard to define because pe people don't want to define it. And okay. um, I don't, I don't want to go off course. Uh, I'll share that example later, but. Um, one of the things that we stumbled upon early on in filming here is there's an interesting thread to build out about athlete perception and how they're covered and the role that social media plays. And, you know, I, I feel really good about how we weave that into the film. And unfortunately, like many other things outside of sports, Negative is what gets clicks. Negative is what gets attention. Negative is what gets eyeballs. And we've got to do something to change that because there's too many positive things out there or there's too many inspiring or motivational things out there. And, and that's what I'm drawn to. I, I'm, I'm tired of the negative. Right. Me too. For sure. For sure. All right. Podcasting, man. Why podcasting? Uh, I see with Pure Hoops Media, you have a few podcasts going on. And also tell us more about your podcast with BJ Armstrong. Yeah, so not to go too far back, but for me, you know, I was nine years old when sports radio was born. New York, 1987, WFAN is born. And my whole childhood was consuming sports through reading Sports Illustrated, watching sports on TV, playing sports, and listening to the radio. So when I went to college, a long, long time ago, uh, I thought broadcasting was going to be my path. And obviously, you're not the same person and persona that you are at 18, 19, or 20 than you are going to be in your 30s and your 40s. And as I broadcasted for one year in the Ivy League doing Cornell basketball on the radio and football and had fun with that, but that was back in 2000, 2001, I had not yet evolved whether it was my persona, uh, my, my, um, my experiences, and I ended up diving into coaching. But through coaching and all those experiences and doing clinics with players and traveling the world, I started to develop this persona that lent itself pretty well to 
doing some broadcasting and it's really helped me as a storyteller doing interviews, uh, especially off camera making films and doing feature segments for, for television, uh, et cetera. So I, I, I dove back into it uh, working with, uh, for a little while, you remember Kareem Rush, the, the left from Missouri. So Kareem La and I Lakers. Started, Lakers. Lakers, yeah, yeah. Helped the Lakers go to the finals in 04. I, I think right. he had six threes against Garnett and the T-Wolves in game right. six of the conference finals to send him there. So Kareem and I got connected through a mutual friend. We started actually doing a live streaming radio show. Um, 2018, just the, the winter leading up to the spring. And um, the goal was to turn it into a podcast that we were going to try to build and grow. Unfortunately, Kareem got really busy with some other things. So I pressed pause with it. And when I did so, I took a step back and I looked at the landscape and I'm like, all right, I can create a show or I could look at all the talented people that are out there and try to create something that's really substantial that I can build a team with. And team has been such a big part of my life on and off the floor build a team with and really try to grow something substantial that can turn into something. And that was the, the, the that was the thought that turned into pure hoops. And then it was teaming up with a, a former uh, ESPN producer. His name is Bruce Bernstein. He won multiple Emmys there, but unfortunately he was part of that 2017 huge company layoff. And, you know, right. he didn't have to go back to work, but he wanted to work. And we met for a 45 minute coffee the summer of 2018, that turned into three and a half hours. And we knew we were completely aligned. And then the other side of that is one of my brother's childhood teammates, three years younger than me, I've known this kid since he was in grade school. Uh, he created a company that curates, creates, and markets audio content, audio and video. And he saw the opportunity. So he became my business partner and kind of the backbone. And the three of us created Pure Hoops Media, got Mike Wise on board, got BJ on board, who had been doing some uh, podcasting with my former, um, my former colleague at Bleacher Report, Rick Buecher, who I know was on your show not too long ago. Yes, sir. And uh, we, just, uh, we just came up with a game plan and just started letting it rip. And you fast forward now, nine months later, since launching in uh, January of this year, we've done you know, multiple shows a week gearing up for the season. And uh, we're really excited about what we're, we're mapping out for the future. So, you know, we started with audio uh, because that's the easiest to produce and turn around quickly. We both know what video takes and it takes right. a whole lot more than what it's going to take for, uh, for you to produce this conversation aside from uh, cutting down my rants. <laughs> right no the rants are good rants are good on podcasts you know that's what you got to do i see you even getting your own podcast done with these uh smaller three minute episodes i think those are pretty cool as well yeah you know everything can't be a, a feature 45 to 50 right. minute conversation so you know what we're aiming to do is just you know have people subscribe to that channel which is the pure hoops quick hitters and we can change the thematics obviously but the 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 tone, the efficiency, and how it's being delivered is the same. So whether you want to hear about, you know, uh, key storylines going into the season, and I'm not talking about hot takes and clickbait. I'm talking about why things in Houston can work with what Russell Westbrook and James Harden, but why it's going to take a little bit of time. Talking about um, how the acquisition of Kemba Walker and the, the subtraction of Kyrie Irving and Al Horford might end up helping the Celtics in the long run, but really 
just delving into things in a different way that's not so surface level that we've been seeing on all these shows over and over again. Right. And BJ must be a great host because he has a perspective as a player, as an agent in the media. So that must be a great and, way and, to get yeah. incredible guy to work with. Uh, we've, it's incredible. We've, we've known each other now since the beginning of the year. I think we've done three or four shows together in the same room when I'm out in LA doing different project work, whether it's something for Showtime or, or something else, but we've developed this rapport by doing the show and, and being on the phone. And it, it's really great. His stories are incredible. And they're, they're stories that I flash back to. And I remember what it felt like to watch on television, what he was talking about as a right. you know, middle school kid or a high school kid, just dreaming of, you know, one day having a, a life where basketball could play a role. So I'm, I'm blessed to be working with somebody like BJ Armstrong. Right. I definitely used to uh, be patiently waiting for those Bulls games. And what I remember most about BJ, besides his talent, obviously, um, was he looked so young, man. He looked like a 16-year-old out there. <laughs> he still looks so young. He, he jokes about his age now. But he, it's the same face. It's crazy. Mean, it's crazy. And he, he, he looks like, you know, I, I joke with him. I go, you look like you can go out there and still get 10 or 12 on a given night. And he just laughs because he thinks he's the furthest thing from it. But um, such a positive guy, unique perspectives, as you said. You know, we do these back to the 90s segments where I just get him going on something. And then he provides detail that no one else can provide. Uh, unless they lived it with them. And, and we know how special some of those players and personas were. So uh, doing the show with him and building uh, Pure Hoops Media has been really enjoyable. And it's crazy. We're still at the early, early stages. But it's, it's, it's great to be talking about. Most definitely. Most definitely. You mentioned Westbrook and Harden, and you spoke to the fact that you think it's going to take some time with Harden and, and CP3. It was actually the opposite. It clicked pretty well right away when people th thought it wouldn't. And then it went downhill at the end. Um, is one basketball enough for Harden and Westbrook? So I think it's going to work in the exact opposite way. I, I do think one basketball will be enough, but they've, they've got to, like anything else, like you hosting a podcast or me trying to find my, my non-existent jump shot. Like <laughs> I, 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 got, takes, I, got to, I got to watch you shoot a little bit. Oh, that was bridge. terrible. That was terrible. <laughs> I, I wish I had the Memphis footage from last week when I was with my man, Nick DePaula, as we've been working on Sneaker Center together. But Eric, you need the uh, cameraman following you around, man. Come on, man. Get it together. Make, make it happen, man. Make it <laughs> okay. happen. Write the check. Um, but Westbrook and Harden just need the game minutes and reps to figure it out. they they have the ability to both help each other make each other's lives so much easier on the floor. Playing a few less minutes each so they're fresh in April and May, and I say fresh in air quotes, fresher, but we've seen what's happened to Harden the last few years in the postseason. He looks absolutely exhausted. Um, but they also are going to have the ability to open up the floor for each other because Russell Westbrook's shooting numbers have been very inconsistent, but that's because he's had to shoulder so much of the load, especially since Durant left Oklahoma City. And I know Paul George was there for two years, and I know he became the number one scoring option, but Westbrook is not going to feel like he has to do everything every night for the Rockets. And at the end of the day, I, I think it's going to work well. I would love to see it work by Thanksgiving, but I'm just trying to be uh, – realistic about the situation. I think it's going to take a couple of months, but 
I, I think the Rockets are going to be very dangerous as long as they're pulling on the same rope. And that is we need to figure out our roles, figure out our rhythm, how we want to play. Obviously, there'll be a lot of screen and roll, a lot of spreading of the floor with Eric Gordon out there, Clint Capella diving to the rim. We know what P.J. Tucker does. And they're going to be a very uh, formidable and dangerous team, I think, uh, coming out of the All-Star break to the stretch run. Yeah, these dynamic duos, especially as guards, seem to work in the NBA. I mean, Portland has had success. Obviously, the Warriors have had success with Clay and uh, Steph. But yeah, but let's, would you- be care- let's be careful. Let's not compare anybody else to Clay and Steph because nobody can shoot the basketball like that. Nobody. That is true, but I would say overall, talent-wise, Harden and West. Well, it's close with Westbrook. I would say Harden and Westbrook are better basketball players than Clay. But it's close with, with uh, West. It's cl- it's close. You can't discount how good of a defender Clay Thompson is. Clay Thompson is a superior defender to Harden and Westbrook. Most so. definitely, most definitely. Actually, Harden has been getting better though. He, oh, he has. It's well, yeah. it's amazing what happens with effort, right? Right. Oh, no, for sure. Those yeah. YouTube compilation videos used to be ridiculous. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's terrible. But, but, but when nobody's going to call you out on something and nobody's going to demand that from you day in and day out, then you're not going to change your ways. Right. Who would you like to see on ball with more? Like, would you like to see Harder with the ball and Westbrook kind of filling in spots or the other way around? I, I'd like to see a platoon. I okay. mean, you, ha- you have to figure out how you're going to stagger those minutes, right? Right. So let's say for argument's sake, the opening six minutes of every game, obviously they're both out there. Maybe it's the opening eight minutes, but whoever gets that first rest, the other guy becomes the ball dominant guy. And then you're flip flopping when one, the other one goes to the bench, the other one comes back in. But can you imagine when Westbrook is handling the ball and Harden can not have to shoulder everything, but yet you have to stay attached to him because of what a tremendous three point shooter he is. Right. The other way around, you know, I'd love to see how Westbrook shoots the three on the catch as a floor spacer instead of off the dribble and pulling up in semi out of control situations. I I think it's going to be. I hope. Yeah, I I hope he's working on that. The way that I I wish. I I would be shocked if he isn't. The the way that I wish Carmelo would have a little bit earlier. You know, I wish he would have worked on that. You're going to have to give me you're going to have to give me fair warning if we're transitioning into a Carmelo Anthony segment. But no, we've yeah, done it. We've we've done we've done a lot of episodes on Carmelo, so we'll stay away from that topic today. Good luck to Carmelo though. Um, let's shift to let's shift to the uh, NBA rank which ESPN made. Uh, they play Zion in their top 50. Uh yeah, at 42. It's kind of crazy. You feel like that's too low, too high or just right. How many possessions did he play in summer league? Uh, well, before the earthquake, he played a few, and then I think it was over. Yeah, I, I, I just, you know, I, I'm rooting for Zion to be great. But, but, I can't, but Eric, I can't wait to watch him play. It's projection. It's, it's projection. Yeah, Not, I, th- yeah. I think it's ridiculous. I don't know how you project a guy who um, hasn't played a minute yet, who's on a team that was completely overhauled uh, in the offseason, and I'm more curious than anything of – who he is going to be day one of the season. Is he going to be a guy that night in and night out is uh, sharing and carrying the load with Drew Holiday, uh, with Brandon Ingram, with J.J. Redick and Derek Favors? Or is he going to be a guy that you need to slowly bring along because he is not yet used to the NBA game? I don't know. But to rank him 42 – 
um, I, I think it's crazy. I, right. I think it's crazy. And, you know, these are just lists and rankings, um, but we know how many eyeballs are on them. And um, I actually think for a lot of players, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's actually disrespectful. <laughs> I, I, I think it's crazy. And, and if you know the game, I'm big on the eye test. I, I use analytics and statistics and uh, talent ceilings where applicable, but having him 42 on this list ahead of DeMar DeRozan, Aaron Gordon, Miles Turner, I'm just reading the guys right below him, Kevin Love. I mean, it's, it makes no sense to me. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, look, Kevin Love was averaging like – I'm exaggerating here, but like 30 and 10 before he played with the Cavs, and then he won an NBA championship with the Cavs. Yeah, well, Kevin Love, you know, had to be – it's eerily similar to what Chris Bosh had to become in Miami. Right. Obviously, Kevin Love uh, never became the defensive player that Bosh did, even though one of Love's great moments in his career was him sticking with Steph Curry um, during his last shot of Game 7. Um, following the in, incredible chase down block by LeBron James, uh, which was during the same sequence where Kyrie Irving, Kyrie Irving hit the step back three. But um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Kevin Love and Cleveland because Cleveland, unfortunately, not to get off topic, but they're one of the teams at the beginning of the season that you can just count out. They, they don't have a chance. Um, they're obviously in rebuild mode. But I don't know how you're going to pay a guy like Kevin Love that much money over that many years when you're in rebuild mode. So it'll be interesting to see where he lands. But that's one of the other reasons why I, I wanted to create Pure Hoops. I want to have conversations about players, styles, teams, chemistry, not create rankings lists, which mean nothing. That's, that's not what motivates me. But Zion at 42, I, I, think, it's, I think it's both um, – disrespectful to other guys and, and kind of humorous well the list won't stop because people seem to love them and uh, right. well you know the and deal. they get a lot it's and the, they get a lot the hype machine the and hype they get machine. a lot of clicks you know they get clicks. all about the clicks they get yeah clicks, yeah. clicks, clicks. you know if, if you and i can figure out how to get a lot of clicks you know we can we can we can create whatever lists we want that's a fact that's a fact all right i know you coached before you got into media you got into filmmaking uh storytelling um What's your thoughts on the current state of uh, skill development? Do you feel like we hit a tipping point? Which level of skill development are we talking about? Are we talking about what we're seeing the pro guys do or what we're talking about in our grassroots system? Well, from the ground up, because I spoke about this with you in, uh, in Queensbridge, that I feel like it's starting to trickle up, a lack of a better term, trickle up to even Team USA, where some of the other countries have better team chemistry. It's all one-on-one -on -one, from the grassroots all the way up to the pro level. Yeah, we've had a grassroots problem for a very, very long time. I was, uh, you know, I, I was lucky enough back in the day to, uh, you know, have a teaching job in New York City, be coaching high school basketball, and be doing uh, camps and clinics both all over the country and all over the world. I, I was part of a, a group of coaches to go over to China for Nike basketball in 2006 as part of the Beijing lead up. And that was the first time I had ever seen uh, what basketball was like in a drastically different culture. I was in Australia in 2013 doing a piece on Dante Exum before he entered the draft. And I saw what Australia was doing to train its players. And um, I, I just think such an emphasis has been put on um, 
what the player is doing with the basketball in his or her hands instead of becoming a complete player, being able to play on and off the ball. And, and then, of course, with what happens during the summer is it's all AAU, all tournaments, all travel, play as many games as possible. Where are your practices? Where are your conditioning? Where is your uh, thorough skill development? And if kids are getting that in specific programs, that's great. But when you talk about nationwide, uh, we've been lacking for a long time. And uh, it's due to the fact that there's no formal governing body. It's due to the fact that everyone's looking for that next quote unquote star talent, whether it's, you know, a Zion type of player, uh, whoever it is, but you have coaches out there who may or may not be qualified to be coaches, but they're just looking for that star guy so they can coach them. And unfortunately this has happened way, way too many times. They coach them, they develop them, and then they're getting a job at the next level because they brought that guy to a school. And we've seen that happen over and over again. So I'm not indicting anybody uh, specifically, but that's unfortunately been a, a normal part of this process for a long time. Um, you talked about FIBA real quick. The, the disadvantage that the United States had this year, aside from not having uh, the best of the best play, they still had some incredible talent on that team. I don't want to get that lost on anybody. These right. international teams have been playing together with FIBA rules and this style of play for years, whereas this Team USA uh, team from this summer, these guys had – some of them had never played FIBA rules before. Many of them have never been on the same court as teammates before, and the deck was stacked against them. Could they have played better? Could they have potentially won it if they had figured out how to play a better style or who played what role? Sure, but that takes time, and that yeah. takes also playing – close to flawless basketball. And I, I think many of the critics out there are discounting what the competition was in FIBA this year. Most definitely. We're trending towards a place where even if we take the top players, it's going to be tough. Cause like, if you look at the top, let's say 30 player pool, there's a bunch of international players. there. like, you got Jokic, you got Giannis, you got Ben, you got Embiid. So even out of that pool, it's not all Americans. You know, it's not, it's not only Americans like it used to be. For sure, for sure. The, the, the global talent pool now is something like we've, we've never seen before. It's, it's, it's truly remarkable. But to, to, I know I went off on a tangent there, which is nothing new for me, but <laughs> just circling it back to player development, like there's, there's a lot of stuff that's being put on social media now and it's showing training and it's showing what some of these trainers do. Some of their work is phenomenal. Other guys are on there, and they're having, whether it's kids or young adults, they're doing movements with a basketball on their hand that have nothing to do with anything you would do on the court. So why would you be doing that in training? I don't understand. But Well, know, it's, not, of, it's, not, it's not only basketballs they got on the court. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> listen, it's one thing to work on your hand-eye coordination, bouncing, yeah. uh, you know, catching a tennis ball and dribbling with your offhand. But right. – you got kids flipping tires over. Like, I, I don't under, I, I just, I'm lost. But parents are so brainwashed that they'll pay for this. 
and that'll keep guys in business. But, um, you know, I, I took pride in, in really uh, learning a lot from some great, from some great people. Uh, I was lucky enough when I got into New York City basketball and camps that my first week doing basketball camp at the old basketball city, which used to be next to Chelsea Piers, I was working Dave Hopla camp. Dave Hopla is one of the great shooting instructors on the planet. For sure. Um, I was 25 years old and I soaked up everything like a sponge, wrote it all down. And that's exactly how I taught shooting from that moment on. And, you know, when I go shoot a basketball, which is kind of part of my weekly ritual of getting my mind and body in order and getting my creative in order, I find peace on the basketball court. I'm starting with the Hopla basics every time. Right. And th there's a reason why this guy is has worked for NBA teams. There's a reason why this guy travels the country uh, teaching shooting. He can go out there, start with form shooting in one hand in front of the basket. He gives his whole uh, presentation on shooting, talking it through as he's doing it. He ends up back at the three-point line. He'll shoot 500 shots, and he'll make 494 out of 500. And 460 of those won't touch the rim. I mean, I've it's, seen it. I've it's seen unbelievable. It. I've yeah. seen it. I've lived it. The guy's amazing. And, you know, there's another guy I want to call out. He's had an incredible journey. Um, he actually played with BJ Armstrong uh, on the Warriors in the 90s. He's from the Bay Area. He's won two NBA championships now. One as an assistant, uh, assistant coach and player development coach with the Cavs. Last year he was with Toronto. And now he's back on the West Coast. Uh, working with the Lakers, he's he's going to be uh, part of the the staff officially on the bench now instead of that second row, and that's Coach Phil Handy. He's one of the best player development guys in the league. Uh, it's not only the physical on the floor, but it's the psychology of it. What team is he with now? Phil Handy's now with the Lakers. He's back okay. with LeBron. So he was with LeBron in Cleveland, and then after LeBron went to L.A. a year ago, he was in Toronto. So his resume includes working with the Lakers and Kobe working with LeBron and Kyrie in Cleveland, working with Kawhi Leonard and the other Raptors last year, and now he's back in L.A. And that guy knows how to teach. That guy knows how to train and instruct. And he does a terrific job. And, you know, there's local guys too. And, you know, I admire the hustle of, you know, what Chris Brickley has been able to do with getting his shot working with guys, um, the, yeah. the Pro Hoops guys, the, the Burns brothers who used to work with Jay Hernandez. Jay is now in the NBA. Those guys work with Kemble Walker and some other players. There's a guy out there named uh, David Zenin, uh, who I know, who works with Serge Ibaka, and he's worked with some of the Duke talent. There's a lot of great guys out there, but those, there's also a lot of guys out there who have kind of, quote-unquote, faked it till they've made it. And we just need to be careful with who's a real trainer, who's a real player personnel guy, and who's a guy you need to take a closer look at. That's all I'm saying. Right. No, to be fair, you know, some of the crazy stuff we see on Instagram, it's all about time management, really. Like it, some of that stuff can be beneficial if it's used as a warm up, you know, maybe for five minutes. But the thing is, that's what gets reach on social media. So even a good trainer might post something like that. And a kid will think that that's what they should be doing for like two hours. Right. Right. And, you, and you've got to you've also got to take social media out of the equation for a moment. It's a great way to build the following it's a great way to share information on what right. you're doing um but th that's not where great players are made great players are made in the gym hour after hour after hour right and you know kobe bryant like let, let's not lie kobe bryant has tremendous gifts 
but it's 100%. because of the work ethic that those gifts reached a new level. And most um, definitely, you know, one of my, my great career highlights, and I'm not sure if you were uh, in New York when this happened, but it was the summer of 2010 during the Nike world basketball festival. And that was kind of the, the culmination of my, my life in that, in that basketball world, um, doing a lot of great work with Nike. I was lucky enough where I got the opportunity to run grassroots for all of WBF that summer. They did some stuff in Rucker Park, right? Yes. So it culminated at Rucker Park. Right. And I had the, the 50 kids that were most consistently in my clinics that were going on in West Harlem that whole summer. They were, uh, you know, invited to participate in the, the, the quote unquote world basketball festival clinic that day. And you had hundreds of cameras around the court and the special surprise guest that was not allowed to tell anybody, my coaches, the kids, Kobe Bryant was the guest. And Kobe Bryant- Because it, it would have got crazy if you would have started telling people. It would have gotten crazy. They would have yeah. been distracted. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're doing our, you know, our, our defensive sequence where we're in stance, <laughs> foot fires, and just getting the kids active and making sure the technique is spot on before we uh, went into our offensive skill stuff. And, and listen, a lot of it was, you know, it was a culmination. So it was, you know, run a great clinic for an hour, but the cameras are there. The media is there. It's supposed to be representative of what was taught all summer, which um, to this day, I'm very, very proud of. But my point is Kobe comes out of the corner. We get introduced. The kids are amazed that he's there. Two minutes later, he takes the microphone from me and he just starts teaching. And usually when I'm running a clinic, I'm teaching but my coaches are doing the hands-on stuff. And I was very influenced by, you know, the five-star station model many years ago. And that's kind of how most of my programming was structured. So usually I'll float around from station to station to see what needs to be uh, improved or if there's a kid that needs a pep talk or if a station needs some energy or whatever it is. So I got to shadow the greatest technician in the world, Kobe Bryant, doing that at Rucker Park during that clinic. And it was incredible. And it, it solidified in my mind that this guy is so committed to the craft and the process. And that's how you have to be to really develop your skills. But as we both know, and for those of you listening, know, you've got to be practicing the right stuff. Right. And that comes from having the right coach, having the right program, doing your research, and I used to go to the, the Garden State Coaches Clinic every year at St. Benedict's, which is where Danny Hurley used to coach before he went on to the college level. He, of course, now is at UConn. But the Garden State Coaches Clinic every year, which was right around this time in September, you have a full day of coaches lecturing on the floor with the St. Benedict's players, putting them in different spots, whether it's drills, press breakers, set offense, whatever it is. So every year, I've got Hubie Brown in front of me. I've got Fran Dunphy in front of me. I've got John Calipari. I've got Rick Pitino. I've got Lawrence Frank. I mean, the stuff's out there. And, and, and Bob Hurley Sr. And they would joke where they stole this from or that from or borrowed this from. All the information's out there. You just got to pick the right stuff and know how to implement it with your kids, whether it's a 10-year-old, a 10th grader, a college player, or a 10-year veteran in the NBA. Most definitely. Eric, man, thanks for being here. You're always welcome back on the show. And where can we find you? I appreciate that, man. So 
Uh, Twitter, I still go by Coach E. New because, as you can uh, tell, I still love coaching the game, and that's kind of my persona with the Pure Hoop stuff. Uh, Instagram, I'm at E. New Films, E-N-E-W-F-I-L-M-S, as I am a filmmaker, and that's where a lot of my content goes. But please check us out at Pure Hoops Media, and look out for some exciting announcements from Showtime Sports as the uh, fall gets closer to basketball season. We've got some exciting NBA stuff that will be coming your way. So great being on with you, and uh, can't wait to see you again soon, my man. Great stuff. Thanks for being here. I'm actually going to check out the resurgence uh, within the next few days, so I definitely want to check that out. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to go on with uh, Pro Hoop. With, uh, um, pre- pure hoops I appreciate media. that, man. Yeah, and also I've been lucky enough, uh, for those of you out there that are sneakerheads, uh, I've been working with uh, Bobito Garcia on the new ESPN Plus series uh, Sneaker Center, and episode one dropped yesterday, Bobito and Common, and it's a beautiful scene in conversation with those guys along with these other fun uh, segments we do on the show. So that show will be dropping uh, every Tuesday on Plus, episode one uh, dropped yesterday. Uh, episode two, I believe, will have Penny Hardaway in Memphis in it, which I was down there producing with Nick DePaula, and we got great stuff with Penny. So a lot of great stuff coming down the pipe. Small world. I had Bobito on the show, I would say, like, I don't know, eight, nine episodes ago. I knew, I knew Bobito for years, man. <laughs> oh, same. Huge inspiration for me. We filmed together yesterday. He's, uh, he's tremendous. I've known him about 12 or 13 years. It's, uh, it's, it's a small, beautiful circle we're a part of here in New York. For sure, man. Shouts to Bobito and shouts to you. Thanks for being here. Talk soon, Eric. My pleasure, man. Be good. It's a wrap. Episode 101 is in the books. Thank you for listening to Combo's Court and big shouts to Eric for joining in. We appreciate you. If you listen to this episode in its entirety, let me know what city, state, country do you listen to Combo's Court from right in the comment section of your Apple Podcast app. It would be greatly appreciated. Also, man, take a screenshot of this episode Post it on your Instagram stories. Tag me. I'll repost it. You know you can find me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Be on the lookout for episode 102 of Combo's Court. Combo out.